This episode is brought to you by Auto Trader. Look around. What do you see? Cars. Lots of them. And guess what? They're probably on Auto Trader. Whether you're into timeless classics or the latest trends, if you see it on the road, you can likely find it on Auto Trader. New, used, electric, and one day, maybe even flying cars. See a car? Find it on Auto Trader. Visit autotrader.com to learn more. There's a lot that could impress you about the all new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hello and welcome to the Radio Times podcast with me, Jane Garvey, and TV critic Rihanna Dillon. We're all about a lot of talk about the best telly in 2022. And now, Rihanna, um, how are you doing? How are you feeling, by the way? Because you're still not able to be with us, but you're okay. You're functioning. I'm functioning. I I feel like I sound worse than I did last week. You look a bit worse as well, but listen, we must plug on. Thanks so much. Um, I'm okay. I'm okay. Next week, 100%, I'm going to be in studio annoying you in person. Cannot wait. Now, we've got some really good stuff to discuss this week, actually. Um, What have we got? We've got Four Lives, which is a new BBC drama. We have The Man Who Bought Cricket, which is a very dense documentary. The Language of Love, which is something I was (laughs) really looking for. I think this was my pick to watch this week. So you can entirely blame me. And Screw as well, which I've been looking forward to, um, which is a sort of comedy drama uh, set in a prison. I thought that was a really interesting show. So looking forward to hearing what you think about Screw. Also, season three of the much-loved Afterlife, that's the Ricky Gervais show, is very shortly dropping. In fact, it's on the 14th of January. You can uh, find it on Netflix. And I've talked to Ricky. Uh, I was a bit nervous about speaking to him, actually. Why? Well, I'm not going to say the man's got an ego and I was a little wary of him. But, you know, there may be an element of truth in that. Anyway, he was actually very friendly. And I did have to ask him about something that's been in the news this week. The Pope has said that he thinks people who choose not to have children and have pets instead are selfish. Well, what did Ricky think of that? It's a stupid thing to say, isn't it? How can not having children be selfish? I discussed this in Humanity. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, How can it be selfish not to bring something into the world that doesn't exist on any level? And I I say, it's not as a big line of, a big cage of unborn fetuses going, we want to be born. They don't, it doesn't make any sense. I don't have kids for, you know, many reasons. But one is that there's enough. We don't, no one, no one's going, Gervais isn't having kids, we're going to run out soon. Ricky Gervais. (laughs) Afterlife is, um, it's such a, I don't know, I I didn't know much about Afterlife and I got really, really drawn into it because I've seen uh, Series 3 now, which is dropping very soon, um, if you're not me and haven't been able to see it on preview. I think people are going to love it every bit as much as the other two series. Um, Okay, let's cut to the chase, get to the reviews and we'll start with, well, it's a very serious programme, this, a very serious drama based on horrific real life experiences. It's four lives, all episodes are available on the BBC iPlayer. It stars Stephen Merchant and Sheridan Smith. Stephen Merchant plays the serial killer Stephen Port. Sheridan Smith plays the mother of one of his victims. Her character is Sarah Sack. And here is that clip. Ambulance. There's a young boy. Looks like he's collapsed outside. Hello? What, what do you mean, Dad? 
They found another body. Same place. That's all three of them. Found in near enough the same spot in the graveyard. But surely there's cause for serious concern because it might happen again. I understand Anthony went to barking and meet someone. I think my son's been murdered. You can't stop saying that. I can and I will. The defendant is a man utterly devoid of conscience and humanity. That gives you some idea of what Four Lives is all about. And this is, it's serious stuff, this. And I suppose, in all honesty, Rihanna, we couldn't recommend it as a bit of light diversion from real life, could we? Because this is all about real life. No, you're absolutely right. And actually, we've we've sort of discussed this really recently on the podcast with Anne. There are so many parallels to draw from this. Perhaps even more pertinent, the huge focus in this is just how infuriatingly incompetent the police are. Um, they also get his name wrong the entire time. Like, there's just not an ounce of empathy in, in these men or women. And Sheridan Smith plays his battling mother, Sarah Sack, who is, she's she's in Hull, the family are from Hull, uh, and she's trying to get information and just trying to establish contact with the police down in Barking in London. And she's met with, well, intransigence, and, and frankly, she's patronised or ignored. And that mm. I think that comes across really, really well. Yes, and I think for anybody who has perhaps never had to deal with the police in this way, it's such a frightening thought that you could be so easily dismissed by the justice system. I have to say, though, that it doesn't, for a TV programme, once you've really got that nugget in your mind, it doesn't really go anywhere for me. I was a, I was kind of, felt like I was then starting to hit a brick wall with finding any sort of um, entertainment from this. Because, of, you know, this is what TV is. It's entertainment, it's catharsis of some kind. And with Anne, I don't want to be cheap by comparing the two, but I just felt no. so much more invested in Anne because perhaps they were bigger performances. Perhaps it was a more sprawling story. Um, I did love how we learned about each individual victim in Four Lives. I, see, I... I can't really agree with you there because I, I did think that all four individual experiences were worth exploring and it, it made them more personal, it made me care more about each of them and I was drawn into their family suffering as well. No, what I was saying was that I do love exploring, I really enjoyed it finding out more about these young men but then as soon as we get back to the sort of the police incompetence, the repetitiveness, which of course is, is I'm sure exactly what happened, they're only kind of relaying the the real life story but I found that really difficult to then engage with over and over and over again on our screens I think it's probably just an unfortunate scheduling issue that Anne and Four Lives have appeared on terrestrial television so close together yes um, because I agree they are they both feature Maxine Peake in Anne who's just amazing Sheridan Smith who's brilliant in Four Lives both playing mothers determined to get justice for their sons in, in both cases and I don't know I wish they hadn't I hadn't been on the telly so close together. I yes. really do. But then we have Stephen Merchant playing Stephen Port. And, you know, we've just been talking about Ricky Gervais. That's who we know him as this really outlandish, bizarre, surreal character who is really self-deprecating. He's really happy to laugh at himself. We spoke about him recently with Outlaws, which he wrote and starred in. And that's much more his kind of turf, I think, that we're used to seeing him in. And so seeing him as a really sinister, predatory serial killer is is... Uh, it's a step away and it's a it's a really good one for him it's a really good choice i think do you think and this is a, this you might laugh but this is a serious question do you think his chances of being a straight actor are held back slightly because he's so tall he does kind of play with his his height a lot doesn't he that's exactly it's his thing yeah it's his shtick isn't that's it? Yeah. his thing but then you have somebody like david tennant who recently has kind of got great acclaim for playing a serial killer and and we, everyone was I think, so impressed because it was such a different role for him. So again, I think it's just these men have been trying out one particular kind of genre for a while and now experimenting and we're here for it. I hope as well that people don't think this is another show clobbering the police and doing nothing but that because in both Anne and in this show, there are some good police officers who really individually try very hard to help. And in, certainly in Four Lives, uh, some the Metropolitan Police take over the case or the Serious Crimes Unit takes over it. Right. And they do, they do treat everybody involved with respect and they really help. I'm just chucking that in so people know. And it's superbly done, but I suppose in a way 
might not be something that you want in your life right now if you've got other stuff going on. But it's Four Lives on the iPlayer now. Now, to a documentary, a series of documentaries, there are three of these as well, on Sky, about cricket. Now, if anyone had told me I'd be remotely interested (laughs) in documentaries about cricket, I would have told them what, but strangely, this was quite good. Uh, The show is called The Man Who Bought Cricket. Here's a clip. It is Billionaire Day here on Squawk as we get uh, Billionaire's take on the economy. We're moving on to a legend who started in real estate and expanded to emerging markets. Sir Alan Stanford, great to have you on the program. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Great. For those who aren't familiar with the firm, 62 companies uh, founded during the Depression by your great-grandfather. You are the sole shareholder. Stanford was incredibly wealthy and keen for the world to know that he had money. That's certainly the mindset I had of him. Before we let you go, uh, is it fun being a billionaire? Well, uh, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, I have to say it is fun being a billionaire, I think but, a, I think but, it's work, but it's hard work. <laughs> I found that end bit there. Yeah, it's fun being a billionaire. One yeah. of the most irritating things yeah. I've ever seen on television. <laughs> You know what I mean. Okay, um, what is this about and who is Sir Alan Stanford? So this is a documentary series about convicted fraudster Sir Alan Stanford, a Texan billionaire, so-called, who made waves in the world of cricket, in international cricket, and was then massively exposed on a very, very large scale. He had a series of gym chains or something, which he then ran into the ground. He declared himself bankrupt. And then he started a Ponzi scheme. Wealth <laughs> management. He, he moved to Antigua and established himself really as a kind of local Mr Big um, and very successfully too. With other people's money, right? So he took people's investments and he spent their investments. No one saw a penny of it, but he got away with it for an incredibly long time and it collapses, weirdly, bizarrely, in the midst of this kind of cricket story. It was back in 2008 and he staged a tournament which involved the England team, the actual England team, his own team, the Stanford Superstars, and some other um, county teams flew out there as well to take part in a tournament. But the winner-takes-all big game was always going to be between England and the so-called Stanford Superstars. And it was a winner-takes-all situation. If you won that game, you got $20 million. So, um, and the other team didn't get a penny. Mm -hmm. And uh, it features, there's quite a lot from the BBC's renowned cricket correspondent, Jonathan Agnew. Aggers. um, Aggers. (laughs) Even I've heard of Aggers. Aggers. And yes, I've I've had lunch with Jonathan Agnew. Very entertaining. Um, Nothing untoward there, by the way. Lots of other people were there. And it's interesting. Jonathan Agnew makes the point that England, they sold they sold their soul. And some of the players clearly had misgivings about it. But, you know, like all of us, they've got commitments, they had families, and it was a lot of money. And so they turned up and they went along with it. And there's a moment when Sir Alan Stanford, who's very much everybody's mate down in Antigua, and by the way, also, confusingly, did some good stuff there. He really Uh did establish a hospital, for example. He built a cricket ground. He established all kinds of youth set-up teams and all the rest of it. He wasn't, like anybody, 100% bad, which always muddies the waters a bit, I guess. Uh Anyway, he went into the player's box or where the player's partner and girlfriends and wives were sitting and he made sure that he was on the big screen as the game carried on on the pitch and he had the players' partners bouncing on his knee. I know, that was really... Deeply unsettling, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. It was such a power play. Yeah. Well, there was there could not have been a more graphic illustration of the fact that he'd bought them yeah. um, and they must have known it then if they hadn't strongly suspected it before. Mm. So, I mean, to anyone who thinks, oh, why would I watch documentaries about cricket? I actually found this so much more interesting than I thought I was going to. And I should say as well, there's been an excellent podcast series um, available oh. by Greg James has made it. I was going to say, is, about is Greg this. in it by any chance? Yes, he it's is. His favourite subject. Um, yeah, yeah, it is one of his. Well, yes, it is his favourite subject, and that was that was interesting too. So um, there's there is there's a lot here for just the sports fan, mm. and anyone who's interested in men who just seem to achieve an astonishing amount 
on not very much. So, for example, in the clip at the start, um, the journalist so-called mentions, you know, this is his great grandfather's company or whatever it was. It was non. It was nonsense. There were no. There was no grandfather who'd established the. It was twaddle. He'd literally, and we should all do this, by the way. He just bought some old oil paintings and pretended they were his relatives. Well, I mean, I think. Garvey Towers. That's what I should start oh, doing. Oh, that'd be excellent. I'm gonna I'm gonna paint us into a picture together and pretend that we've been related all along. There we go. You see what could possibly go wrong. <laughs> um, no, I, I th- so I thought this was um, not necessarily one for just cricket fans. No, um, it's a true crime. Uh, yeah. It's a true crime oh, series. Yeah. It know? will appeal to all fans of true crime. It really will. Absolutely. It is an excellent series of documentaries on Sky. Documentaries: The Man Who Bought Cricket, and all three episodes are available. Available now. I tell you um, what, I could we, have done with a few less graphs, though. Yeah, I, I take your point. But um, people like you and I need to have it quite clearly explained. Um, <laughs> it needed and, to be clearer. <laughs> yes. Later in the podcast, Ricky Gervais on Afterlife. And we also talk about Screw, which is a new Channel 4 comedy drama. First, though, this is what Rihanna picked, The Language of Love. <laughs> Uh, Episode three is next Tuesday, the 18th at 10 o'clock on Channel 4. Of course, you can catch up on all four. Here's a clip. These British men and women are leaving their lives back home. The only thing I'm missing is love. In search of the one in the Spanish sunshine. A mí las chicas inglesas me encantan, o sea, me encantan. Yo quiero probar porque... They haven't found love in their hometowns. So we're giving them a chance to find it here with just one small problem. None of you speak the same language as each other. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. OK. Uh, Davina McCall, who is, well, no dating show can take place without her, can it really? Or barely well, a Channel 4 show can take place without her. No, it's true. But also, I do feel like if Davina's on it, I feel a little bit safer. <laughs> I feel like it's going to be ever so slightly less trashy than if she's not yes, in it. Yes, OK. I'll take that. I do know, I do know what you mean. She, she adds gives... a touch of class and yeah. she is so positive and smiley and lovely. I love Davina McCall. I love watching her. She cheers me you up. Know, You've got a good point there because in the episode I watched, um, it was interesting that the contestants visibly got excited when they saw Fina McCall. And yeah. I think I, they also felt reassured by that. So, OK, I'll, I'll let you have that. Um, but the premise, I mean, are you seriously telling me <laughs> that this is a reasonable and responsible thing to do in the name of entertainment? I mean, if naked attraction exists, oh. why shouldn't this? Why not try it when they don't speak the same language? Uh, and they just have to go off, I don't know, charisma and body language. And yeah, I know, I'm struggling too. You are, you have struggled. I just think it's dreadful. I'm sorry. I just thought, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not actually, I'm not even sorry. I think the concept is ridiculous. I don't understand how the people could have joined up to the programme without being told about the catch. What did they think they were doing? Probably just a normal dating show, you know, like, the, they like didn't first know... dates or something right. like that. So they wouldn't, have been, holidays, like they that. wouldn't have been told the title? No, they probably weren't. Right. That's the thing. There are, I mean, there are, that's a, that's quite a new thing, I think, in, in game shows at the moment. I've seen a couple of clips, not the whole show. Don't worry, Jane, I'm not obsessed with these, where they are on one show and then they're suddenly told they're on another show and they all freak out. But yeah, it's like tricking the contestants is all part and parcel of the of the game show dating and scene right now that's okay is it ultimately they want to get on the tv and maybe find love in the meantime right and that's still happening what i quite enjoyed was the fact that they were all a little bit older you know this is incredibly patronizing but when you're seeing 20 year olds being treated like rubbish by members of the opposite sex then I always feel so devastated for them because it because it feels like we're watching this heartbreak play out on screen for the first time and they feel quite naive. Whereas when they're in their late 20s, early 30s, you feel like, right, these are people who actually have all lived a life. They have some, a lot of them have children actually in this one. They, some of them have been married before. So they have gone through those very first heartbreaks or ex- life experiences. So you don't feel quite so protective over them, which means that I could relax a little bit more and enjoy 
enjoy it for what it was rather than just be upset on their behalves constantly. Okay, yes, I take your point. They are slightly older and they are, on the whole, they're quite articulate, aren't they? And a bit more worldly wise. We should just, s- I mean. Yeah, really. well, but yeah, I, I just, I do, I didn't really like it. I mean, we should say that Davina's co-host is um, a Spanish, a Spanish man who acts as a kind of... Well, Ricky. He, yeah, Ricky. I mean, I liked, he, he seemed pleasant enough. And the setting, look, it's January, it's eight degrees. I mean, that cheered me up, just seeing a bit of sunshine. (laughs) Yes, me too. But then what I couldn't quite get my head around, so obviously you have these three English women who meet these three Spanish men. They can't speak. They're all talking about which one they fancy and then it all becomes very playground and I saw him first and, oh, let's, let's compete with each other to try and win this one over. And then you have three Spanish women and three British men and then you... They, this sort of same thing happens again, but then they're all in the same villa suddenly. So you have six British people and six Spanish men. Why wouldn't the Brits and the Spaniards hook up together? This is why I couldn't quite get my head around. Well, there we are. You've hit on yet another problem with this show. Uh, but I'd, I mean, I'd be interested to see how it does. Um, I know it's too early to, to say whether or not it's going to be a success for Channel 4, but um, I don't know. I guess people who want dating shows, will they want this twist? on the dating show. It feels old-fashioned, doesn't it? I, I used to watch programmes on Channel 4 like, um, was it Playing It Straight, where gay men pretended to be straight. I think there was one series of it um, that I saw anyway, which you know just would not be made now because no. it's all about the stereotypes. But I remember kind of avidly watching this as a teenager trying to figure out if the woman was going to go home with the love of her life or with a really good friend. <laughs> and oh, God, and I found that fascinating. It sounds both fascinating and horrible. So yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right, it would not get made now and, right. and rightly. Um, and maybe in a few years, the language of love won't get made either. But um, for the time being, it <laughs> she is. She says, hopefully. <laughs> it is being made. And you'll find the language of love on all four. Um, catch up if you must, she says through gritted teeth. Uh, look, there'll be loads of you who love it, I'm sure. If you want to tell us just why you love it, it's podcast at radiotimes.com. Yeah, I feel like I need some supporters in this area. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, you won't get any, well, you won't get much support from me. We have had some correspondents. Let's just bring in Sevda. Have you seen this? She says, I love this podcast. I'm in Ireland, so I don't have access to the iPlayer. It's great to be able to series link, as the BBC are always doing coming soon, and then I miss or forget. Because of you two, I watch Dope Sick as well, which which was my TV show of the year. I also oh, that's good, isn't it? I also like the Monica Lewinsky impeachment American crime mm. story. I didn't hear about that anywhere else. Well, that's brilliant, Sevda. Thank you very much for that. And um, I'm glad that we're doing exactly what we're meant to do, which is draw I'm people's delighted. attention to good stuff. That's great. To programs like Language of Love. Let me know what you think. Yeah, and that. Uh, and Jeremy, <laughs> uh, who's in London, says, "I wanted to say I like this podcast. Uh, I find it. This is nice. Listen to this, Rihanna. I find it both informative, funny." and a comfort. Oh, I've always wanted to be a comfort. It is praise. Thank you, Jeremy. Um, he says, the pace is great with excellent guests. It genuinely influences my watching habits. I listened on a walk today, says Jeremy, and now I'm going to gear myself up to watch the Hillsborough drama series. Yeah, Jeremy, um, I absolutely understand what you mean by that. That's Anne, of course, with Maxine Peake, and it is brilliant, but it's it's a tough watch, certainly mm. if you are uh, someone who was around at the time, and, and um, or even if you weren't, actually. It, it's just... It's it's important television, but that's not always the easiest to watch. But I hope you do see it, Jeremy. To contact us, um, it's dead simple. Podcast at radiotimes.com. And um, thank you to those people who have. We do love hearing from you. Now, before the end of this week's podcast, we'll discuss Channel 4's new comedy drama, Screw. First then to Afterlife. This is Ricky Gervais's vehicle. Uh, it's very much his show. He writes it. He stars in it as Tony, who is a widower. His wife, Lisa, has died and he is in mourning. And that means he can do and say some quite incredible things. But it's also a really, really moving show. You'll hear my interview with Ricky Gervais after a clip from the third series. Here we go. It's just a discussion. don't know what God is exactly, but I believe in something. Vague. Well, we obviously go somewhere. I wish I hadn't 
teased her about there not being an afterlife now. I think she wanted to believe in like heaven and angels and stuff. I hope she wasn't, I hope she wasn't scared. There are angels. They don't have wings and live in clouds. They wear nurses' uniforms and work hard to pay the rent on their houses. If you want to be an angel, you've got to do it when you're alive. Be good, do good things. to worry. Don't worry about me. Just worry about you, yeah? Be, be happy. Be kind. Be Tony. That was part of the trailer for the third series of Afterlife on Netflix. So many people looking forward to this and it drops this Friday, January the 14th. Um, are you a big fan, Rihanna, of Afterlife? Have you watched the other series? Yes, I loved series one and two. And because I'm, I'm quite hit and miss when it comes to Ricky Gervais. I find sometimes his comedy really too cringe and difficult to watch. And so, you know, you kind of go in thinking, oh, is this going to be for me? And actually it is one of the most beautiful, heartbreaking shows. And also just so cathartic as well, I think, if you have had a death in your family. It, that the, the, the grief process, it makes you feel so, you know, not alone, which is lovely and beautiful. He also has some really brilliant actors in it, some recognisable, some you'll know, some he's worked with loads before, some are um, comedians. So, for example, Ashley Jensen, we all recognised from extras. They work together a lot. But also, you know, Kerry Godleyman, who is brilliant in absolutely everything. Mandeep Dillon, Rasheen Connerty, who is an excellent comedian. I just think he, he, he builds up this kind of really interesting network of people and friends who all have their own lives, who all have their own flaws, and yet they, they work together in this very real human world. Do you know what I mean? It feels very much a window into a proper community. It really does. I love, actually, I love um, the stuff about the local paper. I just, <laughs> I don't know, there's just something about it. I've worked in local radio for a long time and there's something about the feel of a local paper office and some of the stories that Ricky's character Tony goes out on are just, they crack me up completely. Yeah. Diane Morgan's in it too as well. She's um, so good. And she is so good. And I think there are quite a lot of taboos in Afterlife. There's grief, but there's also loneliness. And I just think it's brilliantly handled. And I think it's really, really rather brilliant. But mm. like you, if you ask me, what do you think of Ricky Gervais? I'd have to say, I don't know. But what you can't deny is his talent and his ability every now and again, well, more often than not, to hit a kind of sweet spot of massive success, absolutely huge mm. success. Anyway, here we go. Here is the interview with Ricky. Why do we not have more shows that feature grief in the way that this one does? Is it just because it's so bloody hard? No, I think it's because um, broadcasters and creators second-guess the audience and they decide that they can't take it for some reason, which is absolute nonsense. They think, oh, this would be depressing. And, and uh, I, I just don't think that's true. I, I've learned that people like to see themselves on telly, whatever part of themselves that is. And it also opens a conversation. I've never had a reaction like it after the first series went out. People coming up to me and people writing letters saying, oh, um, I lost my brother like three weeks before I watched this or I lost my mum last year. Or, and you realise that everyone's grieving and they don't get a chance to talk about it. So uh, we, we don't meet in, in any of the three series uh, Tony before he lost Lisa. So we don't, we're, we're left wondering what kind of a guy he was before yeah. she died. Yeah. But that you're right, the way he behaves to people he doesn't know very well tells us that he is all right, really. Because you are a bit... I mean, he's an ambivalent man, isn't he? Well, there are parts of you him do know, can't stand. You do, you do know a bit about him. You, you know that he was, he was a, 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 you know, a nice guy and he, he had the perfect relationship. He had, you know, she was a soulmate. And I made the relationship um, funny and goofy and them being drunk and mucking around. I didn't want it to look like a coffee advert. I didn't want it to look like you know, <laughs> an advert for diamond rings. I wanted to look like real, um, lovely, normal soulmates. Um, and so once you realise what is lost, you, you forgive him, him being a misanthrope and angry and lashing out and saying the most awful things. And we also found that the happier the flashbacks were, the sadder they were. Uh, which is a real strange, uh, counterintuitive, really. 
So do, do you think grieving might have been easier before we had the technology, um, the ability to look back at film of people who once lived and loved and spoke and laughed? Well, that's a very good point, isn't it? Because, you know, that that's sort of one of the sides of the title as well, Afterlife, that, you know, we we have got these people in the afterlife now. We've got reams and reams of footage of them, you know, real footage that... You know, 50 years ago, we just you didn't have. You had the odd photograph. The other side of it is that, obviously, um, Tony, I made Tony an atheist so he, and he doesn't believe in an afterlife, so he's even more alone. He hasn't even got that comfort of some religious people have that she's in a better place or she's watching over him, even though he still feels her. He feels her. And, of course, the main point of afterlife is that he thinks his life is over when... He loses her, his life is over, and he has to decide whether to live it out or end it. And that's where we start. We start with his, the jeopardy. And that was the seed of the idea. That was the, the first initial seed. I was, I was on tour. I was with humanity, doing humanity. And uh, I remember I felt guilty about only working like an hour or so a, a night. And I thought, I should write a new thing. And I thought, what should I write about? And uh, it was the time when people would just start saying, oh, you can't say anything anymore. You'll get cancelled. You'll get in trouble. Or, oh, I, I'm scared to say anything because they shout at me on Twitter. Or, you know, and I thought, why do people care? Why, why, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Why do people go, oh, they want to be popular. They'd, but what if you didn't care? What if you didn't care about the consequences? You could say and do what you wanted. And that was the high concept idea. And I thought, well, why would, you, why would anyone not care about the consequences? Well, if they didn't think they might live tomorrow. I should say it is it is very funny. I should acknowledge that. But you do that the, the series does focus on another taboo which is loneliness. Yeah. Which is yet another thing that a lot of us feel from time to time but almost no one ever talks about. Yes. And again, I can't believe that commissioners want a whole show about loneliness very often. I mean it does happen in in films and drama and books and uh, but it doesn't usually happen in in what uh, is essentially a comedy, and it is a comedy. It's got the pacing of a drama, but it is still, it is still a half-hour comedy about a group of people, you know, with all their foibles and all their conflicts, and you know, all their failures and all their successes. But it's a comedy around a darker subject. That that's all. It's a comedy about uh, grief, and the the reason the only people even think it's a comedy drama is because I treat things realistically. They're not goofy. They're not goofy tragedies. They're, they're real tragedies, and they act real, and he cries, and he gets upset, and he gets angry, and he doesn't act like a traditional sitcom character because they don't act normally. And so yeah. when people see something like this, what they're, what, what's different about it, and people don't put their finger on it initially, is that everyone acts realistically. Has anyone who's ever worked in a local paper, this obviously features around um, all the action at the Tambury Gazette, has anybody from local papers ever said to you, oh, Ricky, this is just not on, you're taking the piss? No, in fact, most people that told me they worked in local papers are bigger journalists now. Yeah, because they've moved on. They start, exactly, yeah. But some of those stories were real stories that I just... I just changed, you know. And now people send me things like that every day they send me, look at this story, this would be good for the Tambury Gazette. You know, there, I saw one where a guy, I didn't use this, but I saw one, he bought a car on eBay and he couldn't yeah. believe his luck that it was only like 40 quid and he got it and it was a toy car. And yeah. I just think, <laughs> I just thinking, you're buying a real car. For 40 quid. I know. Um, there's still a lot of bad taste comedy in it. Um, the swingers that you go to visit yeah. um, for, the, for the Tambury Gazette yeah. and there's, they, they reminisce very fondly about a disabled elder lady, older lady who yeah. um, would, would, would pop along yeah. and um, wasn't able to do a great deal, but she liked to watch. And um, <laughs> I can't remember the line, but she could, she could help herself out. She had one good hand. <laughs> Yeah, I was disgusted by that. Well, it's it, it is. It, I mean, you could say it's it, it's bad taste, but again, you know, um, I, I I think that I like I like the world warts and all. So I like flawed characters. I embrace all the good and bad and humanity for comedy and drama. And I think comedy at its best is saying we're all idiots sometimes. So don't worry about it so much. And. Uh, I like it to be non-judgmental. I like us to look at all these things and not judge them, just say, yep, yeah, that happens. 
let's get on with it. And that's the fun for me, is throwing it all in there, talking about everything, not shying away from everything, just discussing it. And uh, sometimes I agree with it and sometimes I don't. And I think people make that mistake with the stand-up as well. They think that every joke is a, a window to the comedian's true soul. And it's just not true. I, I'll take any view that makes the joke funnier. I'll pretend to be right-wing. I'll pretend to be left-wing. I'll pretend to be clever. I'll pretend to be stupid. I'm just throwing up a funny idea for people to laugh at it. And I never want to tell people how to think. That's why I don't really do politics. Because if you're relying on the audience agreeing with you and getting around applause you're losing something comedically i want everyone to be able to laugh at my joke whatever their politics whatever they've been through can i just ask you really briefly about what the pope has just said um i was intrigued by this Mm. um he doesn't have kiddies himself um famously but he has just said um that people who choose to have pets over children are selfish now you're a famed dog lover pet lover yeah cat man as well um what would you say to pope francis I think what he believes in is ridiculous as well. So why would I take putting anything... That, putting that to one side. <laughs> it's a stupid thing to say, isn't it? How can not having children be selfish? I discussed this in Humanity. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, how can it be selfish not to bring something into the world that doesn't exist on any level? And I, I say, it's not there's a big line of, a big cage of unborn fetuses going, we want to be born. They don't, it doesn't make any sense. I don't have kids for, you know, many reasons. But one is that there's enough. We don't, no one, no one's going, Gervais isn't having kids, we're going to run out soon. Um, <laughs> it, it, it. <laughs> Okay, um, um, but he has in the past said that people have less complex relationships with pets than with their offspring. And well, that's, I'm not, that's, yeah, I'm not even sure that's true, uh, to be honest. Well, I think the little club he runs, I think it would be better if um, uh, a lot of them didn't have uh, the sort of relationships they had with with children. <laughs> okay. I know where you're coming from, right? Let them sue. Let's see what happens. Um, will you ever make a series for terrestrial television again? I, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, uh, at the moment, it, it doesn't quite suit me. You know, um, I, I like to do my own thing and be left alone. And traditionally, to get that final edit and be left alone, I had to compromise a bit on, uh, you know, where I went. Like, um, uh, uh, uh I went to BBC Two instead of BBC One because I could make the show I wanted more and BBC One would interfere, I think. I went to Channel Four instead of ITV. I went to HBO instead of NBC. Um, But then Netflix come along and say, we don't interfere either. We're the biggest platform in the world. You get get more viewers. We don't interfere. You get more money. It's a no-brainer. There's... I, I don't think anything can compete with... The, the the freedom and the, the business model that Netflix give me at the moment. But if they did, I'd consider it, yeah. If if suddenly, if the BBC gave me the same deal as Netflix, I can't imagine they, they could. Um, but no, I've got nothing against terrestrial television at all. It's just that it's global as well. Netflix is automatically global. It just ticks every single box for me at the moment. So... Um, uh, but no, there's no, there's no principle involved. It's just that, my God, uh, nothing can compete with it at the moment. Thank you. That's great. Thank you very much for your time, Ricky. Appreciate it. Loved it. That is Ricky Gervais. Um, so what did you think about uh, the question about whether or not he'd ever make a show for terrestrial television again? It's kind of sad because we, I think, you know, everyone's weirdly protective over the BBC and we... Well, I don't know, I quite want to see them making shows like this and pushing boundaries and being cutting edge and being at the forefront of conversations because we should, you know, we do have incredible talent here and we that is kind of like our first place to showcase it along with Channel 4. Yeah. But I completely understand that from his perspective. Why would he? If, well, he, if he doesn't get to make the show he wants and if he gets paid less, there literally isn't a reason why he wouldn't just make a Netflix show instead. I, I wonder too, I mean, this is a much less serious point really, but the language. So there is, there's what my, certainly a lot of people older than me would consider foul language <laughs> scattered throughout Afterlife. But doesn't he have a point when he says that is how people speak now? Often. Yes. In oh, real well, not life. Not even now. They always have done. And, you know, that whole idea of the, the watershed is 
that's you know that's why we we get like maybe one or two great shows uh, that can be shown from 9pm onwards on the BBC. I was really touched by, I have to say in particular, the final episode of Afterlife. So if you're a fan, you will love it. And it isn't, if anyone's concerned that it's all going to end up within a pretty box all tied up with emotional pretty ribbon strings, it doesn't, it, it's too true to itself to end quite that way. Is this the so. final series then, series three? I have been reliably informed this is the final series. There will be no right. more. That, I yeah. think that's a good thing um, because I do love it so much. But the trouble is now when, when a series are extended and extended because they're so popular, they do lose that impetus and that relatability because they just get more and more extreme or silly or whatever. So I'm really quite glad just so it, that it keeps its perfection. I think it's a perfect combination of everything that Ricky Gervais does well. This feels like it. he's finally managed to pull all of these elements together for, of shows that he's made over the past 20 years and has probably found one of his biggest audiences by doing that. In 2020, Afterlife was the most watched British comedy in the world and I'm sure this third series will guarantee that it's probably going to be the most watched in 2022 as well. I really cannot recommend it highly enough. Uh, so that's Afterlife, all episodes you can see and there's only six of them and they're quite short on Netflix dropping on Friday the 14th of January. Ricky Gervais, he's everywhere. He's in the Radio Times. He's on the cover of this week's Radio Times out today alongside that um, brilliant dog, the German Shepherd who appears with him in Afterlife. Um, the name of the dog is Antilly in real life. But on the show, here's a question for you. A trivia one, Rihanna. What is it? That's my dad's favourite alcoholic drink. It's brandy, of course. Yeah, it's your dad, OBE, of course. And his favourite <laughs> drink is brandy. Well, that's good to know. Anyway, um, Ricky Gervais is in the Radio Times, interviewed by the formidable Michael Burke. Now, to Screw, which is on Channel 4, it is a comedy drama and all episodes are available now on all four. And here's a clip. Listen, Sprog, you've got the whole wing sizing you up, trying to work out whether you're going to be a hard bitch or a soft touch and whether they can turn you. How do you think most of the drugs, tech, takeaways get in here? Visits. Chucked over the wall. Officers. And you best decide which sort you're going to be. That is a quick clip from Screw. It's on Channel 4. Uh, I've only seen the first episode of this and, oh, I didn't really know what to think. I hadn't known what to think right from the start. I have been in prisons. I've been in women's prisons. I've been in men's prisons. And... Certainly it looked and felt like a prison. What did you think, Rihanna? I haven't been in prisons, but this did feel pretty... Actually, maybe like one of the closest things I'd seen to what I imagine prison really is, because I think there is a level of boredom that seeps through from the inmates. I think that, that comes through really quite well, and their relationship with the inmates to one another, I think, is, is seems to be... Yeah pretty normal like it's not like they're having fights every five seconds but of course the tensions do rise and of course there are little explosions every so often I think as well a lot of people have in the past made the case that the staff are almost as institutionalized as the inmates oh, and we yes. I mean there was a great uh, brilliant prison show recently wasn't there time time uh, that was the Jimmy McGovern show over on the BBC with with Sean Bean and Stephen Graham and that was fantastic this is there is more comedy in screw tell me a little bit about the acting talent in it because there are some great actresses in this aren't there one of the main characters is played by Nina Sosanya, who plays S.O. Lee Henry, so a senior officer of this particular wing. And she's this, she's very kind of uptight, but firm and fair. Like she has the inmates' interests at heart. I think that's the her kind of focus is on them. She doesn't really take too kindly to people coming in and trying to change things, or she is quite she seems to be quite mistrustful of this new girl, P.O. Rose Gill, who comes in, who's played by Jamie Lee O'Donnell, who everyone will know from Derry Girls, yeah. Michelle from Derry Girls. And I was I was really interested to see what she was going to do. I was worried she was going to play almost quite a similar character. She's not 
Irish in this for a start. You know, this is definitely a role that has a bit more grit to it. Um, They leave all of these questions open. You know, all of these prison officers aren't necessarily who they seem to be. They all have something going on that makes you not necessarily trust them. Um, But I do think they do a really great job of pulling us into this small institutionalised world, making us feel empathy for the kind of the spectrum of people that have to live there or work there. I think that it did a really good job of that. Yeah, is it? It is a comedy drama, isn't it? Which is a hard thing to pull off. I don't know if they do pull off the comedy as right. well. Do you? Well, that's what I was going to ask. Is it funny enough? I mean, the thing about prison is, it isn't. You're right to point to the boredom of it all. It's not particularly. I'm sure there's humour there, as there's humour everywhere, but. It isn't funny, really. Um, It's tough and tedious and quite smelly. (laughs) They they do have the smell. They kind of rely on quirks more to make us laugh rather than the dialogue and the writing, I think, which is a bit of a shame. There are some characters which just feel really stereotyped. So there's one really grouchy, fairly young officer in there who is just exactly who you would imagine a prison officer to be. Mm. He is completely lacking in empathy. He's rude. He's un-PC. And that felt a bit too stereotypical for me to really by the performance. This is going to be a slow burn, I think. Some great people involved. Um, I just didn't feel that I cared all that much, and perhaps mm. that's me. Don't let us put you off. If prison comedy drama is your thing, then seek out Screw, all episodes now, and there are eight of them are available on all four. It's quiz time. What we watch. Now, we've got a new twist on our fabulous What Was the Year competition uh, during this run of the Radio Times podcast. I get to ask the questions one week, Rihanna the next week. So this week, after a trumpet fanfare, it will be her turn. Wow, that really stuck around, didn't it? That, that fanfare. If anyone is listening in bed and is using us coaxing to go to sleep, calming voices, I am so sorry about that. Yeah, there was nothing comfort blanket about that, was there? Anyway, never mind. It heralds the beginning of a new run of what we watched and Rihanna is asking me the questions this week. I'm feeling confident. I don't know why. I've just got a 2022 spring in my step. So throw it at me. Okay, well, we have just all sat down, I'm sure, to watch The Hootenanny. And the first clue is that BBC Two aired the first ever Hootenanny, the annual New Year's Eve music show hosted by Jules Holland. So I actually looked up this year, that night, thinking, oh my God, how long has this been running? So I would have maybe done quite well on this. So the first show includes performances from Sting, The Gypsy Kings and Blur, who performed Park Life. So here's a clip of Jules introducing Let the Good Time role featuring Master Winwood live with none other than Jules himself on the piano. Right, I'm, I'm going to bring them over. The big finish. So if I could just quickly invite all of the um, uh, singing people here that are here beautifully this evening to join us here at the stage. And if anybody would like to have a dance around, you know, just uh, do that sort of thing. So if all the singers could come to a central area here, we'll begin. I hate New Year's Eve, uh, and so anything <laughs> associated with it really. I think I could have probably guessed that about you. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Um, the Gypsy. I mean, it's the lineup, isn't it? Blur, the Gypsy. I saw Blur live at Mile End, seminal gig. Oh. That I was there. Yeah, you don't even what know about it. What year was that? Um, must have been the late nineties. It was. Okay. I, I couldn't really see much because it was at Mile End Stadium, and I'm a short woman. But anyway, I was there. Um, so right. my uh, my um, my fiance was a runner once because he used to work at the BBC. You know, when it was the BBC Television Centre, and he had to be a runner on Jules Holland the Hootenanny because they record it like a in July three weeks <laughs> three weeks in December. It was in December, was and it? his only job was to top up all of the celebrities. Champagne. That was his only job. He got everyone hammered. Ah, oh, so that's I good... think you should. I think you should get on it next year. Yeah, I think you should be in front row. That bit appeals to me certainly. Um, <laughs> and then who else did they have? Gypsy Kings, and 
Uh, Sting. Mm. Good old Sting. He was a thing, obviously. Um, All right, that doesn't really help. life. Another clue, please. So the second clue is the legendary Richard Curtis film Four Weddings and a Funeral premiered in this year at the Sundance Film Festival. Here's a clip where Hugh Grant is giving a speech at one of the weddings as the best man. I love this film. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry to drag you from your delicious desserts. Uh, There are just one or two little things I feel I should say as best man. This is only the, the second time I've, I've ever been a best man. I, I hope I did the job all right that time. The couple in question are at least still talking to me. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, they're, they're not actually um, talking to each other. The, the, the divorce came through a couple of months ago. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure it had absolutely nothing to do with me. Apparently, Paula knew that Piers had slept with her younger sister before I mentioned it in his speech. <laughs> The, the fact that he slept with her mother came as a surprise, but um, I think was incidental to the nightmare of recrimination and um, violence that became their two-day marriage. <laughs> it's very, he's very good at what he does, Hugo. Yes, he is. Um, um, all right, the mists of confusion are beginning to clear, but I'll take one excellent. more clue. So it was in this year that... The seminal, I mean, another Richard Curtis special, the seminal Vicar of Dibley first aired on TV. And in this clip, the vicar welcomes Alice into her home during a storm, which poor old Alice is afraid of. Do you remember um, in The Sound of Music when Julie Andrews was scared, she sang about her favourite things? (laughs) Yes. Can we do that? Do you want the short answer or the long answer? Uh, Both, please. Well, the short answer is no, and the long answer is no. <laughs> all right, all right, we'll do it, we'll oh. do it. Do you know the words? Oh, yes, I, I never forget the words of songs, never. I'm famous for it. Well, I... then, off you go. OK. Oh, um, would you count me in, please? Snowdrops on roses and noses on kittens. Da da dee da 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 mittens. Tum titty tum titty tum titty tings. In spite of everything, that is funny, isn't it? Um, It's so good. I love Alice. Yeah. Do you do you like Richard Curtis films? You can't make a case for love, actually. I'm not going to try. No, I hate okay. watched it over Christmas and it is dreadful. Yeah, we, we um, did that last Christmas, yeah. Um, OK, <laughs> yes. can I, I'm going to have a bold... Uh, I think it's... Because I don't know, the blur thing helps. 1996. So I'm just going to give you a couple more clues because you're not quite there yet. Okay. It was in this year that US figure skating champion Nancy Kerrigan was attacked by Tonya Harding's bodyguard at the US Championships in Detroit, depicted in the film I, Tonya. And the BBC provided live coverage of the Winter Olympic Games held in Lillehammer, Norway. So Torval and Dean did a special repeat performance of the Bolero, which had won them a gold medal 10 years earlier at the Sarajevo Olympics. Uh, okay, I've got it now. I've got it now. I'm sure I have. Yes. What year is it? 94. Yay! Hooray! Well right, okay. Done. So discount my earlier answer, which was wrong, <laughs> and we'll go with this. Um, thank you very much. I enjoyed that because um, uh, I remember, um, I do remember Sarajevo, and that that was an incredible performance. I will never forget the look on Jane Torville's face. You know, have you seen it? She's face down on the ice at the end of the Bolero, no. and she just the audience are all just standing up and going mad, and she just glances up with a look of profound relief on her face <laughs> at the end of it you just think she knows she's won she knows that yeah. we know that they've won and but she's so relieved to have got it over with anyway oh, it's incredible it's her. an amazing moment of sport actually I'll watch um, it on YouTube later yeah you should look it up you definitely should so that was 1994 um, thank you very much enjoyed it um, if you want a breakdown of the listings of the programmes we've talked about make sure you look at the episode notes wherever you get your podcast the Radio Times podcast is produced by something else for Immediate Media and we wish you a very good good week. Take care. Bye.